0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. Well, many of you are familiar with Strava, and for those of us who aren't, and until recently, that included me, by the way, strava is a large social network for athletes and fitness groups. And after analyzing massive, and I do mean massive amounts of data, Strava was able to pinpoint the date when most New Year's resolutions start to drift off course. (laughs) And that date is, are you ready? January 12th, <laughs> about two weeks after New Year's Day. And according to the findings of Strava, the, re- the reasons for this drift mostly around, revolve mostly around people's expectations. So there's a really timely takeaway for us here. Two weeks ago, we celebrated the start of Advent, New Year's Day for the church. We acknowledge this, that when the eternal sun of God became a newborn son of Mary, a new time entered and forever altered the world. We heard the message of that first Sunday of Advent, which is, wake up, watch, wait. And we set out together on the four-week journey to Christmas. Now fast forward two weeks, we're halfway into the journey today. And not only is Jesus coming, he's close at hand. We're that much closer to celebrating the Christ wrapped in swaddling clothes come to abide with us forever, in us forever. And we're that much closer to meeting the Christ clothed in glory, coming to make all things new. Yet along the way, I suspect something else has happened for most of us. And I suspect it's happened to some of us at just about, or to, uh, to all of us at just about one level or another. We've been knocked or nudged off course along the way. We've become burdened. Way down. And we've come to find that the experience of the, uh, we've come to find that our first experience of the Advent season isn't quite in line with our expectations. Maybe we can all relate to Charlie Brown in that classic Peanuts Christmas special when he turns to Linus and he says, I think there must be something wrong with me. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. Well, take heart. The ancient wisdom of the Church is way ahead of Strava, and Charlie Brown for that matter, <laughs> and not at all naive about the state of our hearts or the state of the world. The Church calls Advent the season of light, but not to ignore or deny the inner and outer darkness that stalks us. Quite the opposite, the very aim of Advent is to help us face the darkness and the strength and comfort of the light that pierces it, and will one day utterly banish it forever. So today, on this third Sunday of Advent, our journey is brightened by the light of a rose-colored candle. Do you see it? It's now lit right there on the right side of the altar. Rose is the liturgical color of joy. And today is Gaudete Sunday, which is Rejoice Sunday. The saints who made this journey ahead of us knew firsthand their own experience that if we are to stay the course, and if, if we are to rejoice as we ought along the way, we need to take stock of our expectations, unmet expectations, unrealistic expectations. And when it comes to Advent, at least, we just might find that those unrealistic expectations aren't too big. They're actually too small. So please take, your, take a Bible from under the seats in front of you, if you would, and let's look at the scripture readings that the lectionary gives us today for Rejoice Sunday. Now, the church believes that we need these particular scriptures at this particular time and for really good reason. It's because these scriptures focus on the coming of Jesus in the three distinct ways that we celebrate during Advent, his first coming, his present coming, his presence, his final coming. He is the Alpha and Omega after all, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. So let's see what these scriptures teach us about rejoicing in the coming one who is even now present and rejoicing in the presence of that one who is yet to come. We'll start with our gospel text that Deacon Margie just read for us from Luke chapter 3. And you'll find that on 8.58 of the Pew Bible, 8.58. This scripture focuses on Jesus' first advent, on the Christ who has come. And it takes us back to the very same wilderness that we were in last week with John the Baptist. Now, this wilderness isn't the stuff of summer camping trips, you've noticed, right? It isn't a carefree place of ease. It's a place of hunger and thirst. It's a place of real, palpable need. And here we're immediately met with John's jarring call to repent. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Why does the lectionary give us repentance in the wilderness on Rejoice Sunday? It's not the sort of thing we might expect. But can you spot the joy here? Let's look for it. John's ministry is to make a level path to prepare the way of the Lord. So one of the high and lifted up places that he pulls down for us is the pretense that we're merely hypothetical sinners. Hypothetical sinners need only a hypothetical Savior, and there's absolutely no joy to be had in that at all. Here we're given an advent gift, an invitation to face our inner darkness, not to dwell on it, but precisely so we can turn from that darkness to the light of Christ. It is true, we're real sinners, but we're real sinners with a real savior. And only those who are forgiven much are truly free to rejoice much. But look at what else is happening here in the wilderness. Verse 15 shows us a people in expectation. They feel their hunger and need. They're not ashamed. Three times they asked John, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? You heard the refrain. I hope you can relate. Life in the western burbs of Chicago is surely its own sort of wilderness, isn't it? But still, these people have expectations that are too small. Jesus is in their midst in the wilderness, but they don't recognize him for who he is. And so they wonder if John the Baptist is the Savior that they should be seeking. This is a low place that John must lift up. And so he points them to Jesus, who's far greater and grander than John, the Christ who has come bearing the gift of the Spirit. Okay, I am quite confident that none of us is mistaking John the Baptist for Jesus this Advent. Yes, that's good. But I do think this text is given to us on Rejoice Sunday to tell us that Jesus is bigger and better than we might often expect. John wants all flesh to see the salvation of God. So where does John direct our gaze? To the River Jordan, where Jesus is standing in the water. And there are saviors so profoundly identifying with us in our need that he's receiving a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. He has come as God in the manger, God in our flesh, God in our midst, God in our wilderness, God on the cross. He's the Lord of our need, and He's the Lord of our sin and shame, and He's the real Savior of real sinners to the uttermost, bearing and bearing away in Himself all that would crush and destroy us. He has come to be one of us and one with us, to take from us our darkness and our death, and to give us His light and His life Jesus Christ has come to share with you the endless joy that he has and always has with the Father. And Jesus has come to share with you the Spirit whose fruit is joy. And he's done all of this, and he tells us, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Behold, I bring good news of great joy that will be for all people, This is the message of the angel that announced Jesus' first advent, and it's the pure sweetness and beauty of the gospel for us this Rejoice Sunday. It tells us joy isn't an accomplishment. It's not an achievement, and it's not one more thing you need to get done before Christmas. But neither is joy something we can sit back and define or analyze from a distance. Joy can only, only be entered into because joy is a gift of God. It's the Father's gift of the Son, in fact, given to us in the power of the Spirit. So the call of John to you and me this Rejoice Sunday is come, receive, enter into the joy of the Lord, made flesh for you and your salvation in Jesus. Now let's turn to the New Testament epistle that Kate read for us at the beginning of our service. It's Philippians chapter 4. And you'll find it on page 892 of the Pew Bible. 892, I'm sorry, 982, 982 that is. And while you're turning to it, consider this. At the first advent, Mary said, be it unto me according to your word, the word of Gabriel. And Christ was formed in her. Now, whosoever says, be it unto me, according to the word of the gospel, Christ is formed in them. They become a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is the second focus of Advent, the presence of Christ even now with us and in us. The Apostle Paul calls this the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And do you see how Paul connects the present Advent of Christ with our theme for this Sunday? Look at verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Paul's asking us to practice what we've heard and seen in him. And he's saying so much more than, chin up, stay positive, you got this. So what is it about Paul's situation that makes it so conducive to rejoicing? Very, very little. Very little, in fact. He's calling us to rejoice with him from a prison cell. He's been beaten and arrested, and he's dealing with conflict, a lot of it opponents of the gospel, trouble within the church. Paul's call to rejoice isn't an appeal to the flesh. He's not asking us to be giddy, and he's not suggesting that we turn a blind eye to the pain in our lives. It's not what Rejoice Sunday's about. His concern isn't so much with the style or the situation of our rejoicing. It's with the ground of our rejoicing. Look again at verses 4 and 5. Rejoice, says Paul, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice, because the Lord is at hand. What Paul's doing here is calling us to gospel realism. It's a call to live in light of the primary truth of your existence. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. Amen. And so it is with Rejoice Sunday. It lands right in the middle of our wonderful and not-so-wonderful lives. And it invites us to tell the truth about the whole of our lives in the abiding presence and nearness of Jesus. Christian joy isn't the fragile, fleeting happiness we experience only when things go well. Now at Rez, we're fond of saying matter matters, right? We can say happiness happens. (laughs) Happiness does happen. And when it does, receive it. Enjoy it. This too is a gift of the Lord. But do not grasp and clutch at it. And don't set your heart on it, because it's far too small of an expectation for Advent. Christmas comes to find our lives, our families, and our church under stress. And it comes to find our society and world insane, threatening us in ways we never imagined. You have unmet expectations that are good and noble. So do I. Holy dreams that are damaged and perhaps even dead, and you have unrealistic expectations, the kinds that reveal so much about our own agendas and the ways we quietly demand how our life should work out. On Rejoice Sunday, you can give the darkness its due, but it cannot have your joy. So how do we steward the gift of joy and increase our capacity to rejoice this Advent? First and foremost, Paul tells us to pray. Pray because prayer is the epitome of faith, he tells us, and the opposite of anxiety. And Paul sees all prayer is conducive to joy. And you see prayers of supplication, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of petition. So pray those prayers of thanksgiving that produce gratitude and contentment in our hearts. And pray those prayers of petition that call down the blessings and healings of God that multiply our joy and allow us to enter into the joy of others. Prayers where Paul points us to seek and to find the peace of God that passes all understanding. And this peace he promises us will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This isn't a peace the world can know. And because it, is, it isn't a peace the world can give, it isn't a peace the world can take. It's not an escapist comfort. It's a divine consolation. It comes to us right amidst And despite all the turbulence of our lives and all the turbulence of the world, this peace transcends our understanding because we experience it even when the circumstances for peace seem impossible to us, not to God, but to us. And this peace settles and stabilizes us with the joy of the Lord. This is the advent peace of the present Christ, with you, in you, even now at hand. Hear the word of the Lord. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. In other words, rejoice, says Paul. And again, rejoice. Finally, Paul tells us to cherish and nourish the joy and peace of Christ as the precious gifts that they truly are. Gifts, right? And gifts need stewarding. Our hearts and minds and imaginations are hungry things. They're supposed to be. They were created hungry by God. So we need to feed them with care and with healthy food. That's why Paul tells us to savor things that are good and beautiful, so in holy defiance of the world. And it takes that. Practice, he says. Practice thinking about true things, not false things. Delight in noble things not base things, set your affections on lovely things, not ugly things. Give your time and energy your treasure to things that are praiseworthy, not cheap, not empty. Advent is a perfect time for us to practice being present, and truly so, to the things that are good and beautiful. That's because good and beautiful things are more likely present to us at Advent. So embrace all that's lovely about this season, the music, the food, the decorations, the claymation Christmas specials. (laughs) Yes? Yes? They're so good, timeless, timeless, and all the traditions that warm your heart. But embrace them knowing this and being crystal clear about it. They're not nearly enough. They shouldn't be enough. They never could be enough. And whenever we think they are, and to whatever extent we think they are, it's a sure sign that our expectations for Advent are too small. Our scripture reading from the Old Testament today is Zephaniah three fourteen through 20. And the lectionary gives it to us on Rejoice Sunday for this very reason to set our ultimate focus for Advent right and to keep it before our eyes and to keep it before our hearts. Luke calls us to rejoice in Christ's first Advent and the forgiveness of sins. We saw that. Paul calls us to rejoice in Christ's present Advent and that peace that passes all understanding. We saw that. And now Zephaniah calls us to rejoice in a future Advent that's better than we could ever imagine, surpass even our wildest expectations. Now Zephaniah hasn't been read yet this morning, so we're going to do that in just a moment. It's on page 790 of the Pew Bible, 790. And as you think about the good and beautiful things that you want to bring with you, carry with you, to nourish you on your journey to Christmas, you can't do better than this text. It's actually, it's a mic-dropping text, it's stunning. We should all return to it over and over, often in the days ahead. So the immediate context of Zephaniah is Jerusalem when Josiah is king. But its ultimate referent is that better king who fulfills the law, fulfills the prophets. And Zephaniah, what we see is a day of the Lord, one of those great reversal days of the Lord, where he brings judgment and blessing. And all the days of the Lord throughout Scripture are anticipations, right? They're looking forward to that great and ultimate day of the Lord that gathers them all in. All the promises of God find their yes and their amen in Christ Jesus. And he is coming in glory to set all things right and to make all things new. So here are the promises of God. This is what Christmas is all about. Zephaniah 3. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I, you notice the turn of language here, I will gather those who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all of your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes says the Lord. Rejoice and come quickly, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast.